Hyatt and welcome. I am Tyler, the CEO of Funnel Leasing, and here with me is John Helm, founder and partner of RET Ventures. And to kick off your new year, we thought it'd be fun to do some predictions for the coming year. So excited for everyone to participate and make your own predictions or, or challenge ours. So to get things started, obviously the talk of the industry, John, for the last since you know the last couple of months, but especially really from Optech when the Fed stopped raising. And certainly we've got NMHC annual coming up where we're going to have all the blue suit coats to get together in San Diego and talk about cap rates. So the the Fed interest rates, cap rates, NOIs, and the talk of the industry. You know, we've heard for a, over a year now that things are at a standstill. So I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, from a macro environment perspective and your role as a uh, partner of RET and speaking with your limited partners who are multifamily operators, what are you hearing folks gearing up for in 2024? How is the macro environment impacting and how do we think looking forward from a prediction perspective, it will impact decision-making in 2024? Yeah, well, I mean, there's talk rates are going to come down, but they haven't yet. And so I think people are still operating in the world as it is today, but they're obviously more hopeful. What that, what that means, you know, as the world exists today, right, is that rent growth has, has really flatlined. And in some markets, we've actually seen rent reductions. New, new starts have obviously gone way down, but there's still a big backlog of, of construction hitting a lot of markets. And so there'll be a lot of completions, which will put further pressure on on rates in quite a few markets. So, you know, the days of, of you know, strong rent growth year in, year out, you know, bailing you out of, of maybe some sloppy operations or some poorly underwritten deals isn't happening anymore. And I would say that what we're hearing, at least from from the people that we're close to, which are a lot of the larger owner operators out in the market, is a you know a renewed emphasis on operations and how can they run a leaner organization. I know Tyler, you've got a lot to to say on on the subject of centralization later, but you know that is a key thing, right? Is how can they lean out their operations, do more with less, you know? And they were already starting to do this a couple of years ago because they couldn't hire anyone, but now they need to do it because they're not seeing the rent growth and they need to get expenses under control. And there's there's a number of areas that they're focused on the cost side, right? Centralization is a big one. Uh, and also, though, um, what we call self-leasing or the, the whole process to rent an apartment where without any human involvement, at least not face-to-face. And Funnel plays a key part of that on the CRM and on the online leasing side, but you also need the physical infrastructure to enable self-touring. And we're seeing broad adoption of self-touring. You know, some owners are going the, the kind of the full the full route, which is put a smart lock in every unit and put, you know, a building access system so that you can let somebody come in and tour at seven in the morning before work, which by the way, is the most popular tour time. People want to come tour the building and then leave the building at around eight, like it's their commute to work so they can see what the drive time looks like. Well, how many leasing offices are open at 7 a.m.? So self-touring is a, and self-leasing is a big push by a lot of people. And like I said, they can either do it with the whole building by putting in a, a product like Smart Rent. We're allowed to mention company names or not, Tyler? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and this is an NMHC. And then, or, or you know, something like a Tour 24 where they just literally swap out the locks on the vacant units and run a little leaner operation 
and and also but though a more robust touring application in terms of waypointing and, and maps and mapping and all that. Other areas you know, that we've seen focus, and we talked about this, so maybe I'll, I'll save it, is leveraging AI to get a handle on expenses as well. And then we're even seeing people outsourcing you know, more maintenance and turns work. And there's a number of companies that have emerged to do that. A company we've invested in called Lula is doing that heavily in SFR, but they're beginning to do it for multifamily as well. And then on the revenue side, uh, people are looking to find ancillary revenues to make up for maybe slower rent growth. And I think one of the big trends over the next decade is going to be building wide Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi these days is a commodity, so you don't need your triple play anymore. You can just, you know, renters today are just getting Wi-Fi and then streaming everything they want. And who's got a landline anymore? I, I've got a landline on my desk, and I don't even think I know the phone number. I haven't given it out <laughs> to anyone in three years. So uh, owners are effectively, I know it's a dirty word, but they're effectively buying Wi-Fi or, or Internet for bulk, and then they're reselling it to their residents. And the numbers are quite compelling. They can, you know, they can buy it for 20, 25 bucks a unit and respell very high speed. We're talking, you know, 600 megabits to a, a gigabit up and down for, you know, 70, 80 bucks a month and make, make $50 a month. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in some, the, the macro environment certainly hasn't stopped operators from uh, innovating, but the, the focus on the ROI perhaps is more acute given they're not seeing the rent growth that they were for the last several years. So if you're going to, you know, we've got a lot of technologists on that listen to our podcast, both on the vendor side and certainly on the operator side. You're kind of out of the, the age of just, hey, let's experiment with this tool to see what it does. There needs to be a real strong business case that either I'm going to drive revenues or cut expenses. And that's, you think that's going to continue on into 24? I do. I do. I, rates are, you know, they're predicting rates are going to come down, but they're not going to go back to where they were. Right. And there's still kind of a dislocation between cap rates and, and interest rates. And I think, I think people are still going to have a, a very strong emphasis on cost control. And then, like I mentioned, ancillary, ancillary revenues. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Well, I'm yeah, gonna we're gonna come back to your point to centralization. We're gonna come back to AI. I'd love to hear your take on you know companies you're looking at from the AI perspective. But to to keep the audience engaged here and a big prediction, uh, and I won't force you to to respond to this one because several of your your partners are you know have been in the news. But you know, in 2023 and and even before that, we heard a lot of new both political conversations, legal conversations, litigation around the multifamily industry. And so my my prediction for 2024 is that multifamily will be in the news a lot. Uh, and so, you know, there's there's lawsuits about how we use pricing software. There is all sorts of pushes for rent control and all these things tied around housing affordability. So like you said, I do think the new stock coming to the market and the fact that it, rates have been high and rents have held steady, hopefully that signals to the market that, you know, good times are ahead. And, and in fact, the answer to housing affordability is more supply. That's the, really the only way to do this. But my big prediction is that between being a presidential election year, some of the biggest, the biggest technology company in our industry being in the news for, you know, how can you utilize pricing software? I think unlike, you know, we always looked at multifamily like it was the backwaters. I used to refer to multifamily as the Reno, Nevada of industries, that it was the littlest big <laughs> industry. 
or the biggest little industry. You know, it's just, it was big, but nobody ever paid attention to it. But, uh, you know, whether it's the Reuters or ProPublica, Wall Street Journal, we were seeing more and more focus on the industry. And ultimately, I do think that it's going to continue to push us in a direction of sustainable. And John, I know you and I align on this pro renter centric policies, technologies, you know, like you said, everybody who's involved in this industry wants owners to be able to make a profit. That's that, that's what, you know, fuels this whole industry and delivers a great renter experience, unlike in other countries that are so rent control heavy. But like all markets, it's a good time to recalibrate and say, hey, how do we u- utilize software? How do we ensure that we're getting enough supply to the renters? So that's my big prediction that there will be a lot more conversations about both the, the political and legal aspects of our industry. And as is always the case, you know, these things will live on, but they'll probably be a little bit different come, coming into 2025. All right. So let's yeah, go I back. Uh, I was going to say, I'll yeah. agree with you on, I think there'll be a lot of press on the industry. Leave it at that. that. All right. Well, let's come back then, John. You know, as a venture capitalist, as an investor, you know, it was late 2022 that OpenAI made the huge advancements that it did in generative AI technology and other large language models really came to the foreground. So you all have been investing in AI since before that. You know, disclosure, obviously, Funnel has an AI product, but you have other investments you've made in the AI space. What are you, when you talk with operators, what's the overall sentiment towards AI? And is that shifting in 2024 per what you said earlier about looking for those efficiencies? But what my understanding is in VC world, every new startup, you know, has to have AI in the slide deck or else it's not getting, it's not getting a term sheet. Yeah. And it's funny, right? I mean, how many, how many people remember blockchain now? But six years ago, when we were launching our first fund, it was all the rage. Blockchain was going to take over everything. And now no one talks about it. Uh, my prediction is AI will not go in that same path. AI is here to stay. It's real. And I think what's interesting about AI is, you know, yes, we've got three investments that have AI as a product. Actually, no, four. Four investments that have AI as part of their product that they're selling to the to the industry. But I would say half our portfolio companies are using AI now and just running their businesses. And that's, that's, that's why it's here to stay. It's, it's getting ingrained into everyone's business processes. And I think the products that are being sold in the industry is, is kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but everybody's using it across the board. Uh, but yes, it is here to stay. And I think it's, you know, we, we can save the political discussion on, you know, the, the, the more powerful AIs being built, say, outside our industry that could turn or not turn into Skynet. But uh, at least our industry, I don't think, I don't see a, a, a leasing bot, you know, turning into Skynet. At least I hope not. But, <laughs> but uh, yes, it's, you know, whether it's the, the conversation, taking over the conversation with the prospect, like Funnels product, or we just invested in a company called Predict AP which uses AI to read all of the inbound invoices. Something that simple, right? Grab all your inbound invoices and format them and and speed up basically the labor involved in paying your bills. It's just that simple. And we've got a number of companies that are adopting that product because it allows you to, you know, do that process more efficiently, get by with fewer AP clerks, because as, as we all know, it's just hard to hire and retain people right now. So that is one area. And then, of course, we've also got an investment in Traptis, which is basically mining all of your communications data 
across the entire organization, whether it's chats or phone calls or emails, and then giving a resource to the, the property managers and senior executives on understanding what is really going on in their portfolio by just looking at all the communications back and forth with all the residents. And that yeah. can be very impactful. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, I think, that what I've been hearing from asset managers, oper- owner managers, fee managers, is that they are looking at AI as a uh, almost status quo now. To your point, I think early adopters viewed it as really innovative. And now it's kind of the baseline. I need to handle my communications. But what are some of those innovative areas? And you just highlighted a few uh, where I can really alleviate some of the burden. One of my favorite stats about the use of our AI product is that the customers who use our AI product, the humans are happier, right? So we have this NPS score and the, the human leasing agents who obviously still have a lot of valuable work to do, they're far happier when that work comes in. Yeah, they don't have to answer the the basic questions. The AI system can answer all the basic questions. And then when it's time to close the sale, kick it over to a human being. And you, now it's a much more interesting job, and they're able to leverage their talents much more effectively. What, Tyler, did you have a story about people are they're using AI are actually able to pay their people more? Exactly. Yeah. So what we have found from our partners is that by using AI and frankly doing cross property, which is to my last point, centralization, individual agents can make about 50% higher compensation than they were in the old world because you were overstaffing at a single property to compensate for too many leads versus taking that lead deluge and allowing AI to work through it and then allowing your best people to work multiple properties on the high value work. Yeah. It was actually Camden who, who talked about that stat that they were able to increase individual agent compensation 50%. And so I want to use that as a segue, John, into my last prediction, which is that centralization is going mainstream in 2024. And I don't know that's obviously not controversial anymore, but at one point in time, it was not that long ago, John. I was on, you know, third party managers in particular were saying, you know, it's not for us. Or you would hear folks make comments like, well, we don't believe in centralization. And and obviously folks like UDR really pioneered it early, early stages. They said, well, we don't believe in that because we believe in customer experience. And I think the reality is, is you can have your cake and eat it too. You can provide a more efficient, you know, management of your properties from an asset manager's perspective. You're, you're deploying less capital into human resources. But you can also deliver a good customer experience. And so I think now that those results have been out there, but the macro environment has put tremendous pressure onto third-party managers, owner-managers, everyone's just embracing this. I mean, the number one thing we see in our inbound leads is that it used to be I want to improve the customer experience. That still is important. But by far, the number one reason people reach out to tools like ours is they need to change to a different staffing model. They need to have their best people work multiple assets uh, because it doesn't pencil without it, right? You just cannot figure out how in a flat rent growth environment, how am I going to be able to return my, you know, 8% uh, preferred return to my investors or whatever your, you know, your T's and C's are without being more efficient on the staffing model. So in 2020, we first saw folks really moving towards centralization. Uh, In 2024, it's going mainstream. You know, even small third-party managers who don't have density are embracing this concept. So I think that'll continue. But I don't know, John, if you're hearing that from you, you obviously have a real cross-section of the industry, both REITs and owner-managers and third parties. But is that is that move towards centralization consistent with what you're hearing? Yeah, definitely. And I, I'd echo what you said. It was originally being pushed by the, the large operators that had a lot of density. And and clearly they can realize significant savings. You know, when, when somebody's got ten thousand units in one market, 
you know, they often had buildings across the street uh, from each other competing with each other for the same prospect because they didn't know they were talking to the same prospect. And, you know, going to a, a system where there's just one leasing agent working with the prospects across multiple properties obviously helps a lot. And it, I, I would argue, creates a better consumer experience too, right? Now, now you can pop them into the, the best fit building. So we're definitely seeing that. And yes, to your point about originally this was largely owned and operated portfolios that were thinking this because I think they could realize the, the most savings. But now we're even seeing it with fee managers. And I know, Howard, don't you, you've got the ability for a fee manager to use the product and enable centralization within kind of sub portfolios, correct? Yeah. And so I think that, you know, where technology gets broader adoption is once it becomes easier and more less disruptive to business practices. So yes, to your point, some of our early partners helped us, the early third management, third party managers helped us put guardrails in place that I could say, Hey, if I, if asset manager ABC wants their portfolio of 5,000 units managed in a silo and not cross-sold to manager XYZ, yes, we can do that. And I think that's where any new technology kind of starts on the periphery and it's a very specific use case. But then over time that just like with you know large language models, those tools get applied to a broader set of problems. And I think the idea of multi-site operations had a lot of obstacles to overcome. And one of those was asset manager portfolios within multiple third-party managers. So yeah, that's a enhancement that we've made that allows, you know, you could have four different clients still have their own instances, but get a lot of the same benefits of centralization that the big REITs are getting. Yeah. I think that's key. I mean, look, long run, everybody's better off if, if they would consolidate, but we all know how hard that is. And so this is a good interim step that allows you know, third-party managers to re- realize a lot of the benefits and avoid some of the pitfalls that, you know, exist out there for full centralization. But it's still better than, you know, having your buildings compete with each other across the street from each other. And exactly, yeah. Having, yeah, having four different people talking to the same prospect, which also results in a bad resident experience. Yeah. Well, John, this has been a lot of fun. And I think in some, I think this tough macro environment is certainly pushing the industry towards a better place. And, uh, you know, it's no secret that RET and Funnel are, are tied at the hip. And we're incredibly grateful for what RET does. And and even just listening to you with all the new technologies you guys are looking at and bringing funding and listening to your LPs, it's a great cycle. So very excited for another big year in 2024. Thank you to everyone who joins this LinkedIn Live. And we look forward to staying in touch with you throughout the year. John and I will both be at NMH Annual, right, John? We will, and and every other major conference. And yes, this this is, I think, going to be a pivotal year for the for the industry and for a lot of companies or vendors operating in the industry, like Funnel, as as people really focus on operations. So yeah, we're looking forward to a busy year. Awesome, all right, John. Thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening in, and uh, we'll see you next time. We are so grateful for our listeners. And for those of you who enjoy the show, I would encourage you, please follow Funnel, follow myself on LinkedIn. And if you have a perspective, especially a unique perspective, we would love to hear from you. So please send us an email or a voice message to marketing at funnelleasing.com. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe we'll respond to it on the show. But most importantly, we'll continue the conversation about how to make this industry better. Thank you.